At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We have been walking our way through Philippians chapter 2 most recently inside of this series. And today we're going to conclude that by looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Now, before we look at those verses, I wanted to share with you that I've done some personal reflecting over the last week as I've thought about my, my own adventure in following Christ. That adventure began some 30 years ago as I trusted Jesus as my Savior, and I have had the privilege of following Him ever since. But when I think about my time following Christ, it's also true that along the way, often I was following someone who was following Christ. And I mean that in a very, the very best way possible. In other words, God had provided me with examples of people who were following Christ and were able to point me to Him as well. It happened from an early age with people like my parents and my sister. It included men like Dwight Nash, who found me out on a golf course and a basketball court and a tennis court, because that's where I was. I wasn't in the church at that time, and he invited me in and shared the gospel with me, and I trusted Christ in Easter of 1990. I think about men like Dwight Dara, who prayed for me. He was the senior pastor of the church when I was young. He prayed for me that I would accept the call into vocational ministry before I ever knew that that was anything that was even an option. He was praying for me in that way. I think about David Croninger, who met with a group of high schoolers every Wednesday night as we read the scriptures together, cover to cover, both junior and senior year of high school. I think about people in this town that I met when I came to OU, Bill Bolt and Todd Stuman, who discipled me and pointed me to Christ. I, I think about Bruce Hess, who right here in this building opened the Scripture and taught it to me every Sunday as a part of ministry here at Wildwood. And I think of all of the blessings that have continued even through my time in Dallas and even as we've come back to Oklahoma. There have been so many men and women that God have, has used to point me to Christ. And you know, when I think about your stories and your lives, I'm guessing that there are many people that you could mention as well. I, I've got the microphone, so I said a bunch of names, but if I were to pass it around, you all could mention the names of many as well that God has used in your lives. And it's not something that's new just to our generation, but from the very founding of the church, there were people who were following Christ and inviting others to follow Him as well. There was this parade, and sure, Jesus was at the front, but in that parade were many others who were inviting all around to follow Christ, including you and including me. The author of the book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13. They, he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's an appropriateness to this. Even the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so, friends, we have been blessed in our lives by those who are following Christ and have invited us to follow Him as well. And as we have been in this parade, Jesus has been at the head, but we have been following after many others who have been faithful and have gone before us. But let me ask you, how many of you feel like, you know what, I've, I've been impacted by enough people. You know, I don't need any other examples of what it looks like to follow Christ. You know, 
nobody's got their hand up. All of us would love to have a few more. Some of you this morning might be here and you say, I've never had anyone serve in that kind of a role for me. I'd love to have one. And others of you have like, like I've had a hundred, but I still would love to have one or two or three more. Well, for those of us who are looking for three-dimensional examples of what it looks like to follow Christ, we find them in abundance in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, what we have is we have three men who are held up as examples for you and I to follow as they follow Christ. Three men who are exhibiting the attitude of a servant, who have taken upon themselves the mind of Christ, that they might serve those in their generation and they might serve as light bearers for you and I to know how to follow Christ as well. This morning, I want us to look at their lives and example and see what we might take for our own lives. And so if you've got a Bible, open to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. I want to read these verses for us, and then after that, we'll go back and look at each of the examples that are given to us there. Philippians 2, verse 19 says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, friends, in these verses in Philippians chapter 2, we see three examples. And in order to help us remember each of these examples, I, I want to just tell you that I have prepared some very corny, groan-inducing statements to help us remember. Now, their example is amazing. My articulation of it is very suspect. So when I share these, these, these statements, they are for our ability to remember them, but they ought to induce some kind of a groan on your part. So I will know if you are paying attention if I hear you groan as we remember each of these examples. The first example we see in verses 19 through 24, and that's the example of Timothy. And in Timothy's life, we see this, we are to care for them like Tim. I heard somebody groan on the live stream right there. Okay, perfect. So here's the thing. So Timothy is an example of care for the Philippians. And in his care of them, we find an example for you and I. Now, before we look at his example with the Philippians, it's important for us to remember who Timothy is because Timothy is a character that there is a lot written about inside of the New Testament. He's mentioned in many of the epistles of the New Testament 
And he's also mentioned in the second half of the book of Acts numerous times. So what do we find out about Timothy? Well, one of the things we know about Timothy is he's from the area of Derby and Lystra. Those were two towns in the southern region of Galatia. So we have our letter to the Galatians in our Bible. Timothy was from that area. And Timothy was raised by a mom and a dad. The mom was from a Jewish background. The dad was from a Gentile background. The mom and his grandma ended up becoming believers and followers of Christ. The dad did not. And from an early age, the mom and the grandma had taught the Scriptures to Timothy. I say all of that because if you are someone who has grown up in a home where you had a parent who helped point you to Christ, you have something in common with Timothy. And if you were someone who grew up in a home where you have a parent that did not believe or has yet to believe, you also have something in common with Timothy. But as Timothy was being raised by his mom and his grandma and his dad, his mom and his grandma were pointing him to Christ, Paul played a significant role in the early days of Timothy's life and ministry. When Paul showed up in the town and he met him, God did some significant things in Timothy's life, and he began to serve Jesus in a new way. And Paul laid hands on Timothy and prayed for him. And we, we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, where Paul recounts the time when he laid hands on Timothy and he prayed for him at the beginning of a time and season of ministry that Timothy was a part of. Paul, interestingly enough, would call Timothy his own true child in the faith. And we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 2. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul had no biological children, but that did not mean he did not have a legacy. Currently, I'm reading a, a biography of George Washington, and one of the things I didn't know about Washington was that he had uh, no biological children of his own. And yet he had a number of men that he treated as sons, men like Alexander Hamilton and Marquis de Lafayette, who he had close personal affectionate relationships with, even as a father would with a son. Washington was not the father of biological children, but he was a father of a nation, and he had many that he poured his life into, including those. And Paul was not a biological father to just a few kids, but he was a spiritual father to the church that was burgeoning around the Roman Empire and included young disciples like Timothy. Paul's impact on Timothy was significant enough that Timothy was able to join Paul and travel with him during a number of his missionary journeys. We see that begin in chapter 16 of Acts, verses 3 and 4. And Timothy traveled with Paul to so many different locations, it would even include traveling with Paul to Rome when Paul was imprisoned there. So when Paul writes this letter, from Rome to the Philippians, he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, he says this letter was from Paul and Timothy, indicating that Timothy was with him in that moment. And so Paul and Timothy had a long relationship. And what we see in Philippians chapter 2 was that this same Timothy was someone that Paul saw as a great asset to the church in Philippi. See, in verses 19 through 22, Paul acknowledges, I'm in prison and I can't go, but Timothy is free, which indicates that Timothy had stuck by Paul even though Paul was in prison, but Timothy must not have been. So he was there in the city, he was ministering to Paul's needs, but he was free to travel. And so Timothy, who was free to travel, Paul says, I can't come and visit you, but I'm going to send you the next best thing. I'm going to send you my right-hand man. I'm going to send you the one that I have no one else like him. Timothy was exceptional in his service. He had been with Paul for a long time now, and Paul trusted him like he trusted no one else. 
And part of what Paul saw in Timothy was a care for others that was abnormal. And by abnormal, I don't mean that it was bad. I mean that it just was rare. Paul would say that everybody cares for their own interests. Very few people have a genuine concern and care for the interests and needs of others. But Timothy was one of those kinds of people. He had a genuine interest in others. And so Paul said, I want to send him because I know when he goes, he's not going to go on vacation. He's going to go with a heart and a desire to minister to you, dear Philippians. And so I'm going to send him in my stead. There is no one else I have who would be able to care for you and to minister to you the way that he can and does. And so Paul commissions Timothy to go. Now, in Timothy's life, we see someone who was providing great care for others. And specifically, we can imagine that that care that he was providing was not just for their physical lives, but certainly for their spiritual lives, because this was Paul's chief concern. Remember back in Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11, in that little prayer that we looked at last month that Paul had for the Philippians, he did not pray for their physical lives. He prayed for their spiritual vitality. He prayed that their their lives would be increasingly marked by their relationship with Christ. That was Paul's chief concern. So when Paul sends Timothy and he says that Timothy is concerned about their welfare, I'm guessing that he's thinking that Timothy is going to go and help develop them spiritually, not just care for them physically. And we see in Timothy a model of caring for others, of being willing to to stay with the Pauls of our lives who need us, but also the ability to go and to care for others, even traveling great distance when that is needed as well. And so when we think about having a care for others, a care for them like Timothy had, what would it look like for us to have that kind of concern for others? Well, a few things that we might imagine. The first thing that we might think of in terms of our concern for people is our prayer life. If we have a genuine concern for the souls of others, we will be praying for others. It's just that simple. We think about what we're able to do with our hands and with our feet, and it it, it pales in comparison to what the Lord can do, even over great distances. And so if we have a genuine care for those around us to grow and develop spiritually, we would be praying for them. Parents, you know this if you're on your knees praying for the spiritual development for your children, even your grown children that live miles away. You're praying for them. You're caring for them because you know that that's an expression of your love and concern for them, knowing that God can work in their lives even over a great distance. But my question today is, are we willing to pray for those beyond us, even beyond our own household? You know, it's as with Timothy It's not all that uncommon for somebody to pray for their own needs or even to pray for the needs of themselves and their kids or their their, their spouse. But it's rare the person that genuinely is praying for others. Friends, may we be that kind of rare breed. May we follow the example of Timothy and, and offer that kind of rare care. We're praying not only for our own spiritual needs, but we're praying for the needs of others. We're praying for those on our block. We're praying for those in our city. We're praying for those in our community, in our church, in our small group. We're praying for our missionaries in the field and the impact of what God is doing through them in the places where they are planted. 
Friends, one expression of our concern for others' spiritual lives is that we would be praying for them. How are we doing in that front? But not only praying for them, but also caring for them. Not just how's our prayer life, but how's our care life. In other words, when we say amen and we stand up from being on our knees in prayer, are we willing to then step forward and minister to the needs of others as we are able? Timothy didn't just pray for the Philippians, but when Paul said go, Timothy went and was able to minister to their needs. Paul didn't just say he cared for Paul, but he stayed by his side and ministered to him while he was there. Are we willing not just to to pray, but also then to to activate and to show up and to, to encourage where discouragement exists and to be present where loneliness exists? Are we able to help meet needs where where needs exist? Friends, Timothy is an example to us of concern, not just in prayer, but in care. But a third aspect we would think of is also in sharing, as our share life. And while I think Philippians chapter 2 is primarily talking about relationships inside the church, I think by application we can place this in context outside the church as well. If we genuinely care for the souls of men and women around us, if we genuinely care for the souls of men and women on the other side of the globe, we would not keep the good news of Jesus Christ to ourselves, but we would go and we would share it. We would mobilize to have those conversations. Personally, that each of us would have those conversations on our street, in our workplace, on our teams, in our school, among those in our family that we would be willing to talk about Christ, to give the reason for the hope that we have in Him. Friends, if we genuinely cared for them like Tim, we would pray and we would care and we would share. We see that in his example. If you're looking for an example to follow, look at the example of Timothy. But there's an example that goes beyond just Timothy. There's a second example that we see, and that example is found in verses 25 through 30. And that's about this guy named Epaphroditus. And with Epaphroditus, we see that we would be risky like E. Thank you. You're still with me. All right. So be risky like E, like Epaphroditus. Now, one of the things about Epaphroditus that's important for us to remember is that Epaphroditus is not well-known among the churches. So Timothy, well-known by lots of churches. He had visited a lot of them. He had traveled with Paul often. His name is referenced in many of the epistles and throughout the book of Acts. But Epaphroditus was a gentleman who was only known inside the church at Philippi. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. Now, you might say, isn't there someone named Epaphras that's referenced in Colossians? And the answer to that is yes, but Epaphras is a different name. It's a different person. Epaphroditus, referenced here, is only talked about here. And I say that because it's important for us to remember that In the church, even in the first century, there were those who had ministries that extended among many congregations that went from town to town, people like Paul and Timothy, who were well-known to all. But there were also those who were only known by one local church where they served. And I would say that's more the norm, right? That people would be known where they're planted, And I think this ought to offer a great deal of encouragement to you and I. We don't have to be known by everyone to be used by God significantly in one spot. God wants us planted where we are that we might have an impact there, and Epaphroditus was one of those men. 
He was from Philippi, and the Philippians actually had seen his faithful service and had him go as their representative to go and to care for Paul. We see that in the second half of verse 25 when Paul refers to him as their, the, the Philippians, messenger, and their messenger who had, their minister who had come to minister to Paul's need. Paul, during his imprisonment, remember the way the Roman imprisonment worked, not only was he imprisoned, but he had to pay for it. It's the way the Roman prison worked. And so he needed resources to be able to eat and to be able to do different things. And so the Philippian congregation, aware that Paul was in prison, had taken up an offering and they had sent it with Epaphroditus to deliver it to Paul for his care and for his need. Not only did they deliver that to him, but then Epaphroditus stayed to be an encouragement to Paul on behalf of the Philippians. And so we see that he was sent, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to Paul. We also see that Paul had a great deal of affection for Epaphroditus. He really liked him. Look at what he says about him in verse 25. He calls him his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier. He was someone that Paul had great respect and affection for somebody that God had used in Paul's life in a significant way. Not only that, but we find out that Epaphroditus got sick in his journey. We don't know exactly when he got ill, but sometime after he left Philippi, but before he arrived, uh, or as he arrived in Rome to minister to Paul, he became very, very ill. Verse 27 tells us that Paul says, Indeed, Epaphroditus was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul said, he was very sick and he nearly died. But I'm so thankful that as we prayed for him that he recovered, because Paul says, I would not have wanted to write in this letter that your dear friend and mine had died in service to me. So Paul is celebrating with his recovery. But it's also interesting to note that even as Epaphroditus was with Paul, he was concerned about his friends back in Philippi, thinking that they might be concerned if they had heard of his illness, that they might be concerned for him. Maybe Epaphroditus had mom, dad, brother, sister, a wife, kids back in Philippi, and they hear that he's ill, even close to death, they would have been concerned for him. And so Epaphroditus was concerned for them as well. Now, given that backdrop on Epaphroditus, let's see something of what Paul says about him. In verses 28 to 30, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he says this. He says, I am the more eager to send him, to send Epaphroditus, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Now, why does Paul talk about sending Epaphroditus back in this moment? Well, I think that Paul was saying this to defend his friend Epaphroditus and add context to his return. See, the people in Philippi had taken an offering. They had an intent. They had commissioned him to go and to minister to Paul. And if Epaphroditus had come back without any word from Paul, some in Philippi might have said, you're a failure. You're a quitter. Why would you do such a thing? Why would you leave? So Paul, in his tender pastoral care of Epaphroditus, makes sure to tell the Philippians, hey, guess what? He is not back among you because he failed. He is not back among you because he quit. He is back among you, Paul says, because I have sent him to you, because I think there is ministry that he has to do among you. But then Paul goes on to say, but I want you to know that he is someone to be honored. 
He is someone to be honored because he has given a great risk in the advancement of the gospel by coming to care for me. He, he says this here in verse 30 when he says, Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. While he was serving Christ, he contracted an illness that nearly killed him. And Paul said that was a risky move for him to step out and come and to serve. But Paul says it was worth it and should be honored and not discounted or made fun of. Now, when we think about the risk that Epaphroditus was willing to take, it might seem a bit foreign to us because we live in a risk-averse time, don't we? We live in an era, in a time, and in a season where we think that the Christian life is about protecting us and not placing ourselves in a position where we might be even uncomfortable, much less in any real danger. Because of that, Ralph Martin in his commentary on Philippians says this, he says, such a word brings its own challenge and rebuke to an easygoing Christianity, which makes no stern demands and calls for no limits of self-denying, self-effacing sacrifice. Here is a man who gave little thought to personal comfort and safety in order to discharge his responsibilities. Though it might seem foreign to us, it is not foreign to the call of following Christ. When we follow Christ and and he says, go, or he says, have this conversation, or he says, step into that gap or, or stand firm on the gospel, we should not go, I don't know if that's going to be worth it, because friends, it is always worth it to follow Christ. It is always worth it to stand with him, regardless of the cost. John Piper this last week made some comments that I thought were interesting. One of the sections of his comments went something like this. To people like me, he speaks and says, May I suggest to pastors that in the quietness of your study, you do this. Imagine that America collapses, first anarchy, then tyranny. Imagine that religious freedom is gone. What remains for Christians is fines, prison, exile, and martyrdom. Then ask yourself this, has my preaching been developing real radical Christians? Christians who can sing on the scaffold, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Friends, it it may seem to us that taking risks for the advancement of the gospel seems strange. But if they're strange, it's only because they're uncommon in our age and in our era. It is never strange to trust Christ, even in ways that might put us at risk, even at risk as Epaphroditus was. So when we think of this effort of taking these risks, the the question I would ask us now is, what are the risks that we need to take? What are the risks we need to take? Well, a couple of broad categories to bring up. One is the risk of sharing your faith. Oftentimes, we don't speak of our faith in Christ unless we are certain that it will be received well by those that we're talking to. So we'll talk about Jesus freely and openly with our Christian friends, but we keep our relationship with Christ hidden to those who don't currently follow Christ. Friends, we need to have a willingness to take a risk to share the good news of Christ, even with those that we are not sure how they will receive it. 
And this is not just true for those that we send off to plant churches in the Middle East or to minister in East Asia or to minister over the radio waves through Latvian Christian radio. This is something that is true for each and every one of us. Are we willing in, in, in an era and in a time where there is increasing opposition to the gospel, are we willing to boldly and confidently and lovingly share with our words, our faith in Christ, with a lost and dying world around us. Friends, it's a risk that if we followed the example of Epaphroditus, we would take because it's worth it for the advancement of the gospel. Not only that, but risk not just in sharing our faith, but also risk in showing up and getting involved. See, sometimes we we don't show up and help when we pray for others and we stand up, we, we're reluctant to step in and help because we're afraid of what it might cost us. How much of our time, how much of our money, how much of our energy is it going to cost us if I step in to actually care for another? But friends, we're reminded in this example of Epaphroditus who had the mind of Christ, who did not just seek his own interests but sought the interests of others. We're reminded in the midst of this that we might be willing to take the risk, even not knowing what the full cost is. You know, when Paul here talks about taking this, this risk, he, he says in the second half of verse 30, he says, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I think that Paul there is using a little bit of a play on words with a name that sounds very similar to Epaphroditus. There's another common name in the first century, and that was the name Aphrodite. It was a name for a goddess, not a real god, but a fake god. And in the Roman world, they had a lot of fake gods. And this fake god, Aphrodite, was considered the goddess of gambling. And when people would gamble, whatever they would roll or play, they would say Aphrodite as they would throw it down, saying, give me good luck in this moment. And it became associated with risking or gambling for material gain. I think that Paul uses a name here that is quite similar in his friend Epaphroditus, and he says, you know, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus threw his life down on the line, not for his own personal gain, but for the advancement of the gospel. And Paul says it was absolutely worth it. Are we willing, friends, to be risky like E? There's a third example that's in these verses, and it's not an example that is maybe as explicitly seen as those first two. But it's an example that lies behind all 12 verses that we read earlier today. And that's the example of Paul himself. And so in Paul's life, we see this. Don't keep it all like Paul. Okay, you're still with me. I'm just making sure. Don't keep it all like Paul. But by that, what I mean is not that Paul did keep it all, but Paul had an understanding that the things that God had blessed him with, the things that he had entrusted to him, were not something for him to keep all to himself. Paul did not keep all of the blessings that God had given to him, but he freely shared those with others. And we see that very clearly when we look at the context of Paul's life at this moment when he wrote this letter. Remember, Paul had been through a lot. He had been beaten. He had been imprisoned. He, he had been shipwrecked. He had been snake bit. People had slandered his name in many different ways. And so Paul has gone through a lot. And even as he writes this letter, he finds himself imprisoned in Rome. 
And he doesn't know exactly how it's going to turn out. Are they going to let him go free or are they going to demand his life? So Paul had been through a lot in this moment. And if there ever was a moment in Paul's life that you and I might be tempted to say, Paul, it's okay to have a little Paul time, right? Whatever you have access to, Paul, keep it for yourselves just so that you might have some care. And I really think that was even part of the reason why the Philippians sent the gift. They were saying, Paul, we need to, it's time for us to care for you, Paul. So they send Epaphroditus to go and to care for him. And so in Paul, we, we have someone who is going through a lot, and the temptation would be for him or for us for him to justify some kind of selfish behavior. And yet, what does Paul do? Well, Paul prays for them. He's not praying for himself. He's praying for them. And Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, his prayer life is focused on the spiritual development of the Philippian church. He's thinking about them. Not only that, but he's still thinking about them. He picks up a a pen and he writes them this letter, our our letter to the Philippians that we've been studying over the last number of months. He prayed for them. He he wrote them a letter. He, He takes this letter that he wrote and he gives it to Epaphroditus and he sends Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi argument could be made. Paul, keep Epaphroditus there. You obviously like him. He's your brother. He's your fellow soldier. Keep him. Have him just pray for you and care for you and and serve you. But Paul says, no, I'm not going to keep him. I'm going to send him back because I believe that he has a ministry still among the Philippians. Not only that, but Timothy, verse 19, he he says he's going to send Timothy back to them. Again, Paul would have been tempted, and we are tempted for Paul to say, no, don't send Timothy. You have none like him. Keep him with you, that he would care for you in this moment. Paul says, no, no, that's not how this works. But the one that I might demand stay with me, I'm going to send to you because your interests are before my own. Paul gives this incredible example, even to the point of saying, when I get out of here, If I get out of here, my plan is to go and to visit you. Paul did not take these resources that were there and say, I want to keep them to myself, but he was willing to invest them in the lives of others. And in that, we have this incredible example. But where did Paul get that idea? Where did he get the idea to behave this way? He had the mind of Christ, friends. Remember what he said in verses 5 to 8? He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not consider his privilege something to hang on to, but he humbled himself in the form of man acting as a servant, offering his life on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Paul saw in Jesus his example, his model, and the mind of Christ influenced Paul to see those around him and the resources available to him, not as something for him to hang on to as a personal blessing, but to flow through him into the lives of others for their good and for their development. Friends, the question for us is, are we willing to not just hang on to the blessings that God has given us. I mean, it's 2020. There's a case that many can make for keeping things to yourself at this time. But are we willing to allow those things to flow through us into the lives of others? What are some of the things that we tend to hang on to? 
might be our finances. We say, I need to hang on to this money and I not, not give it, not share it, not use it for ministry or a blessing to someone else who has a need. But in Paul's life, we're reminded that we don't hoard things, we don't hang on to things, but God has entrusted us with things that we might steward them for His glory and for His honor. Not only with finances, but also with our time. Sometimes we might be generous with finances, but we're not generous with our time. But friends, we realize that the time that the Lord has given us is a resource that He wants us to use in service to Him. Are we willing to, to volunteer and to show up and to give that time to others? to serve them and their needs. Our emotion. Sometimes our, our lives are like, well, my, my life is just so full. I've got all the relationships that I can handle right now in this time, in this season. I don't have space, emotional space for anyone else. But are we willing to open the door for another, someone that we don't know, someone not currently on our inner circle, that we might be able to minister and care for them as well at this time? And not only that, but even our reputation. Sometimes we protect our reputation, what others might think of us, and it prevents us from taking those risks we talked about earlier. Are we willing to see that even our reputation is a gift that God has given us that we might invest in His work in this time and in this season? Friends, are we willing to not keep it all like Paul? Friends, there are a number of groan-inducing statements that we have seen today. But there is an awe-inspiring Savior that is behind it all, who has given us an example of what it looks like for you and I to have this attitude of a servant. Would we take that attitude upon ourselves today? Would we serve one another in Jesus' name? Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for this morning and the time to be together. Thank you for just the power of your word and the hope that we find in it. Father, may we be people who look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, that we would follow not only Christ, but we would follow Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy as they followed you as well. We thank you so much, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.